Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians 5. Today we'll begin in verse 15. Verse 15 says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so, after you know all this instruction that the Apostle Paul has given us about not walking like the world and, and walking in a way that is becoming of saints... He's, he says that we are to walk circumspectly. And that, that English word literally means to be looking around, right? Circum, like circumference or circumvent or circumcision means around. And, and spectly would be the same as the word spectacle. It's to, to look around and to be aware of the things that are going around, on around you. Uh, the, the opposite of walking circumspectly would be what people describe when they use the term that somebody has their head in the sand. Uh, that's the opposite of being circumspect. But to walk circumspectly is to walk with an awareness of these things that are, that are going on around you and to be wary and, and watching. And that's a, a, a thing that unfortunately many Christians don't do, are not, are not circumspect. Uh, they're not walking in that way. You know that, that criminals, uh, people that often commit crimes on the street, like muggers and, and rapists and that kind of thing, they don't, they don't just pick their victims randomly. They look for somebody that looks like an easy victim. They look for somebody that isn't aware of their surroundings. They look for some, you know, you ever see people that are walking down the street and just their, their head is down and all they're really aware of is the, the sidewalk beneath their feet. They're not, they're not looking around. They're not aware of their surroundings. That, somebody who's looking for a victim, that's what they look for. Because they know they can come up to that person. They won't know it until the last minute. The person probably isn't aware of, of, you know, any, any avenue of escape if they needed to or any of that kind of thing. And that's what they look for. And likewise, the, the, the devil himself kind of looks for that in Christians. Christians who aren't looking around, who aren't aware of the things going on around them, who aren't uh, seeking to avoid these kinds of things that the Apostle Paul has described. And so we have this responsibility to be circumspect to be looking around, to be watching, to be aware. And so we're given this warning to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And again, you know, just, just watching, the, the Bible uses this term walk, obviously not to talk about the physical way that you walk down the street, but to talk about your lifestyle. But the reason it, it uses that is because you can tell a lot about somebody by their walk, right? You can tell if somebody's confident by the way they walk. You can tell if they're insecure by the way they walk. 
Um, you, you can tell, like it describes here, uh, just often by watching the way somebody walks down the street, you can tell whether somebody, in, in some cases, is a fool or is wise. And, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about how, how there's a difference between how the fool walks and how the wise walk. And in fact, if we were going to try and look at all the all the verses, we wouldn't have time to do it today, uh, because there's many of those comparisons. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs over and over and over again contrasts the fool with the wise man. And let's just look at a, a couple of verses from the book of Proverbs and one from the book of Ecclesiastes that give us a a picture of what that difference is. If we're to walk as wise and not as fools, we need to know what that means. We need to know what what the difference is. Go to uh, Proverbs, first of all, Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know, one way to tell whether somebody's walking as somebody who's wise or as someone who's a fool is to look at who they're walking with, right? And uh, you've seen those t-shirts that say, I'm with stupid, and they have an arrow. (laughs) A lot of times I think probably that arrow ought to be pointing straight up, right? (laughs) If I was wearing it, that's what it ought to do. But uh, um, who you're walking with a lot of times tells a lot about who you are. In fact, you can often learn more about somebody by looking at who their friends are than you can just by talking to that person. Because, you know, people get pretty good at putting on a certain front and, and that kind of thing. But when you look at who they enjoy spending their time with, that says a lot about a person. And you see here, it says that he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Uh, you know, there's a lot of principles from God's word that that uh, different, you know, different uh, motivational speakers and that kind of thing have, have co-opted. And, you know, that if you read the, uh, what's, what's that book about the seven habits of highly effective people? And they'll talk about your circle of influence and, and this kind of thing. And, and, you know, if you want to be successful, what you want to do is put yourself in a position where you're around successful people. And that helps you on your way to being successful. You see, that's a biblical principle here. It says if you want to be wise, you walk with wise people, but it says a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And there, the companion of fools, even if the, com- the companion of the fool isn't a fool himself, but maybe has some degree of wisdom, but he's a companion of fools, that, that relationship can be something that destroys him. And so there you see one, one difference between how the the person who's wise is going to walk and how the, the fool is going to walk. An area to be very circumspect about. To look at the people you surround yourself with and who are you walking with? Who are you, are you walking next to? And is that something that uh, is, you know, are you, are you walking circumspectly in that regard or, or not? And, uh, of course, the, the, the Scripture says to believers that we're not to have fellowship with the works of darkness. Uh, go to Proverbs 28, Proverbs 28, verse 26. In fact, maybe, maybe start up in uh, verse 25. 
It says, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. The one that trusts in his own heart is a fool. And there's there's a, a, you know, we tend to view self-confidence as being a good thing. But, you know, self-confidence isn't always a good thing. In fact, self-confidence is, is most often a bad thing. Here it says that the fool is the one who trusts in his own heart. Now, when the Bible talks about man's heart, I, I know it's popular today for people to say you need to just follow your heart. What does your heart tell you? But what the Scripture says about the heart of man is that it is desperately wicked. The heart of man is not something to put your trust in. And, and to think that you can even trust your own heart is a foolish thing to think of. Now, again, you may be able to, to achieve some level of temporal success through confidence in yourself and, and that kind of thing. But you see what it says about the, about the one who walks wisely? It says, he shall be delivered. Now, when it says that, that the one who walks wisely should be delivered, I mean, you might think, well, why would the wise person need to be delivered at all? If somebody's really wise, they, they shouldn't be in a position where they need to be delivered. But the fact is that everyone is in a position where they need to be delivered. Every person who comes into this world needs deliverance because we come into this world bound to sin. We come into this world with a, a, in, in bondage, not in freedom. And... The wise man is able to recognize that. See, the fool thinks he's free and goes on trusting his own heart, thinking that that he can do it all himself. But the wise man recognizes his predicament. And it's the wise man who accepts the deliverance. Uh, to, To think, and again, many people that are considered wise by the world think that they're, you know, they're just... They're just fine. They don't need anybody to deliver them. They can do it themselves. They can do it through their works. They can do it through religion. They can do it through the pursuit of knowledge. They can do it through uh, education. You know, all these different things. But you see what it says about the wise man. The wise man is able to recognize that, first of all, that he needs deliverance, and it's the wise man that is delivered. And so to, to just to just go on thinking that we can do it in our own strength, that we can li- live in the context of the passage we're looking at in Ephesians 5, to think that we can, we can just live this, this life uh, forsaking the evil and, and doing the will of God, to think that we can do that in our own strength and our own power with a trust in our own heart is not a wise thing. It is a foolish thing. And even as, as believers, we need a continual deliverance. We need a continual salvation in the form of sanctification as God works in us through his word and and helps us to achieve a a level of spiritual maturity. Turn as well to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, very next book after Proverbs. Um, Proverbs is is, uh, written by Solomon and Ecclesiastes as well is written by Solomon, although the book of Ecclesiastes, understand, is really a, a, a condemnation of worldly wisdom. And what you see throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is you see 
um, you see Solomon relating how he tries to find fulfillment in all of these different things, and his conclusion at the end of all of it is that it's vanity. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes does not in any way give you an eternal perspective. It gives you a very temporal, earthly perspective. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 14, well, start, start in verse 12. It says, I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been already done? Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. Why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? Now, you see that, that here Solomon, looking at this just in this worldly, temporal way, says, what benefit is there in being wise? The wise and the fool, the same event happens to them all. And he's talking about physical death. Whether you're, you're a wise or a fool, if the, if the Lord tarries, you will see physical death. And, and just in the earthly, temporal way of looking at things, he says it's all vanity, right? But you see, you see what he says before he comes to that conclusion, that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. And light and darkness are... are to, you know, if you're in a completely dark room, it doesn't matter whether you have a, a small light or a big light, it, that light is, is noticeable in that dark room, right? It excels the darkness. And it only takes a very, very small light to, to drive away darkness. And he says, just like that, that's how wisdom excels folly. And he says that the wise man's eyes are in his head. Uh, but the fool walks in darkness. And that's what the, the exact thing that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5 when he says to walk as wise and not as fools. To walk as somebody who has eyes in their head. And not like many of the people that the, the Lord Jesus Christ talked to where he talked about how they had eyes but they couldn't see. You see, obviously the fool has has eyes, but... It's one thing to, you know, there's a, there's a seeing where you just see and, and, you know, recognize something happening. And there's a seeing where you really perceive what's going on. And that's what the fool fails to do. The fool fails to really understand what's going on around him because it's, he, he just might as well be in darkness. And so we're told in Ephesians 5 not to walk like that, not to walk as the fool, but to walk as that wise man, circumspectly, being aware, being aware of the spiritual things that are going on around us, being aware of, of the temptations and, and various things so that we can approach them in the right way. If we go back to our text in Ephesians 5, these verses really stand as a warning to us because 
while we can read these verses about what our life ought to be and, and how we ought to not walk as other Gentiles walk and how we ought to walk as, as it becometh saints and walk as children of light, the, the truth is that the whole society around us is working against that. Okay? Verse 16 says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And all you have to do if you doubt that the days are evil, just pick up a newspaper, turn on the television. We live in evil days. And, and, and understand that we've been in evil, it was evil days in Paul's day, and it's been evil days since. Now, certainly there have been times where society was more uh, open to the things of God's word, and even the, the institutions of society were more in accordance with God's word and that kind of thing. But even, even in that situation, the days were evil. In fact, many of the problems of today are because people were not walking circumspectly in that time. See, it's easy when, when the culture around you, uh, you know, serves to, to provide a, uh, an atmosphere that is favorable for godly living, it's easy to walk as the fool because the culture does for you uh, a lot of the things that, that uh, you, you know, it makes a lot of those decisions for you, right? Uh, in, in a time when uh, many kinds of sins are just completely taboo in society, it's easier to avoid those things when, than when those things are accepted. That doesn't mean that people are more faithful, that they have more faith in God. It doesn't mean that they're more obedient to God's word. Often they're just, they're just going along with what the culture around them is doing. And what happens is that in that kind of a situation, often Christians and churches go to sleep. And they're not walking circumspectly. They're not uh, awake like Paul said to be in verse 14. And that leads to then later generations that forsake those things. And because it was just the culture, it wasn't a true, a true you know, faith in God or faith in God's word. The next generation says, you know, why do we do all these things? Just this empty outward form of, of morality. And so the days are evil. I mean, it doesn't matter if you go back to times in, in our history as a country when it seemed like people were more godly. The days were evil even then. And because of that, he tells us to redeem the time. And that word redeem, it's, it's the same word that's used, that's translated as redeem in other places, talking about how God has redeemed the believer. It means really to, to save something, to save it from loss. And when you, when you look at how we spend our time, uh, so much of what we spend our time on is just wasted, is just lost. Redeeming the time is to approach the time that you have, again, recognizing that the days are evil, and to use that time wisely in the things of the Lord. Not just, again, not just trying to obtain some level of earthly temporal success, but investing your time in the things of the Lord, investing your time in studying God's word, investing your time in uh, certainly, certainly uh, sharing the gospel with people, those kinds of things. Uh, time is something that's always slipping away, right? It's not like, I mean, you know, spending money, you can, you can stop spending money, right? You can just, just choose not to buy things and, and not 
not spend anything. But spending time doesn't work that way. Whatever you're doing, you're always spending time. And Paul tells us here to redeem the time. To, to, to redeem something is really to, to purchase it back. And he's saying rather than just wasting all of that time, wasting it on temporal earthly things, invest some time in the things of, of God's word. Now, that doesn't mean that you do away with all the temporal earthly things. In fact, as we continue on here, uh, in fact, we're coming on to a passage here in Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, where what Paul begins to do is begins to take even just the, the, the natural, normal, daily things and show you how you can do those things in honor to the Lord. Instead of just doing them out of routine or, or because other people do them or whatever, you can do those things in honor to the Lord. But uh, uh, so, you know, there, you do have to spend time on temporal earthly things. You do have to do things like uh, provide for a family, you know, do those kinds of things. But time is something to be very careful about. And especially when we consider that this dispensation of grace is not going to last forever. There is a, a time of judgment and wrath and tribulation that is coming on the earth that, that could come at, at any time. I mean, it, it, I'm saying the, the dispensation of grace could end and the world left with those things at any time. And so time is something we need to be very careful about, to redeem the time, to, to take, you know, not, not uh, have, just like, like, Financial planners will teach you how to, so that, so that you're not controlled by your money, you control the money and you put it where it needs to go and you, you know, just put it into the different things that you need to put that money into. We need to do the same thing with our time. And we need to plan our day and our week and our, our month and year based on, you know, what, what time am I going to put in, not just to a job, not just into family things, but into the things of the Lord. And so that warning that the days are evil and a a part of walking circumspectly is to have control of our time, to not let it slip away, not let it be wasted, not let it just go to things that have no eternal purpose. And in fact, in, in reality, a lot of things we spend time on have no temporal purpose either, right? And uh, Paul says that we're to redeem that time. And in verse 17, he just reiterates the point. He says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, this verse is where we're going to spend the rest of our time for today. And we're told to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, that assumes that the will of the Lord is something that is knowable, right? The, many people treat the will of God as if it is some unknowable thing and that they just kind of have to wait and see what happens and that must have been the will of God because that's what happened, right? And, and they, treat, they treat the will of God. Many people are looking for the will of God for their life. And people do all kinds of tr- things to try and find out what the will of God is. Um, in fact, what some people do, again, even in the name of Christianity and trying to figure out what the will of God is, really is, is nothing more than what, if a, if a pagan did it, you would call it divination. You know what divination is? Divination is when you take random events and you try and assign some meaning, meaning to them. 
uh, with, the, with the Chinese, they have a, a thing called the I Ching. And you take some coins or some sticks and you throw them on the ground. And depending, you know, you ask a question and you throw those coins or sticks on the ground and how they land, you go look it up in the, in the I Ching. And there's a little saying there that reads about like a, like a fortune cookie reads or something like that. And that's supposed to give you insight into what you ought to do in that situation. And that's, that's divination. Okay, and you know a lot of people do that with their Bible. People will will ask God, God, what is what is your will for me? And they'll open their Bible to a random page, and they'll stick their finger down on the page, and they'll read the verse, and they'll try and get some meaning out of that. That that's really a, a contemptible thing to use the Word of God as a as a book of divination. God's Word is not something where you can just pick a verse out randomly and and say, you know what. What does this verse mean to me in my situation? And completely remove it from its context. What the scripture says is that you need to be diligent in your study of God's word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? But it's, it's a lot easier just to open it at random and put your finger on a verse and read that. Right? Study means you have to spend some time, you have to redeem the time. And you have to put time into that book and learn it and learn what it says and not just pick things out at random. Uh, one of the worst things that you can do in trying to determine what the will of God is for you is to just pick verses out at random. Because inevitably, you will wind up doing things that are not the will of God for you. You will wind up doing things that were the will of God for somebody in the Old Testament. You'll wind up doing things that were the will of God for for you know, somebody under a different dispensation, and most likely you're not going to find what the will of God is for you. Uh, another thing a lot of people do is they kind of rely on just some, just some inner feeling that they'll get to tell them what the will of God is. And um, they'll, they'll pray about things, and certainly you ought to pray about things, but they'll look to God to speak to them just through some, some feeling that they get. And the problem is that there are many people who have begun a course of action, absolutely convinced because of some feeling that they got that it was the will of God, and you talk to them a year later or two years later, and they're just as convinced that they were mistaken and that wasn't the will of God at all. Right? You're, the feelings that you have come through that heart that we talked about earlier that's desperately wicked. And you can't, you can't trust yourself to know whether a feeling comes from you or comes from God. And often what we do is we take our will and we say, well, I've got this fe- I prayed about it and I've got this feeling. It must be God's will. And it wasn't God's will at all. It was your will. But see, now you have, a, you have an out when things go wrong because you can say, well, God must have been trying to teach me some lesson or, you know, so you don't have to make decisions and choices and, and be responsible for the consequences of those decisions. You can blame God for it, right? And, and so that's not how you find the will of God, by looking inside for some, some feeling that you will get. Um, rather, the, the will of God, because none of those things allow you to really know what the will of God is. Right? All those things are always changing. You might think it's the will of God today. Tomorrow you think the will of God is something else. Next year it's something else. But 
You see, the verse says that we are to understand what the will of the Lord is. And over and over again, we find that the will of God is something that is knowable, that you can know absolutely for certain what the will of God is. Um, In fact, uh, we're here in Ephesians 5, just go up a few verses. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And that word prove means to, to, to test in a way that you're, you're proving the veracity of something. Or, or you know. But it's that idea that you can know what is acceptable unto the Lord. Go back to Romans 12. Romans 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not that you might guess at what the will of God is and then see how things turn out. Not that you might, you know, just randomly pick something out of God's word. But you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.